morning's message is high definition. Last week the message was called ID. You can abbreviate this week's message to HD. HDTV, I had to title it this because football season just, just happened, amen? College football started yesterday, so in honor of all the men who love football, we got high definition coming to you in church this morning. And like I said earlier, throughout this year, we purposely planned a series of messages that will get us to where we're at today. And in the home series, the, the theme was the, the presence of the Father. And where the presence of the Father is, that is the place that we call home. And in that place of home, we no longer want you to operate as a slave in the house, but step over here and work as a son in your father's kingdom, because that's who he's called us to be, a son in the kingdom. And at the end of that series, the the key verse was, son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. And that also includes daughters, amen. All the ladies say amen. (laughs) And so, so sons and daughters, you're always with me, and all that I have is yours. But first, we've got to find a place called home where the presence of the Father is. And we pray that you find that right here at TWBC, His presence, so He makes all things possible in your life. From there, we went on to a series called Abide, and that's becoming well acquainted with the culture of heaven. And we used the verse out of Matthew, chapter number 6, verse number 10, where Jesus is praying in the Lord's Prayer. And the Bible says, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, we kind of rephrase that a little bit, and we use the word culture instead of kingdom, because many times in America, we don't understand the kingdom because we're a democracy and everything we do everything we read everything we say it's all viewed through a democracy even the way we read the scripture is viewed through the american democracy like we always got a say in what goes on and there's some things that jesus begins to do we don't have a say in what goes on come on now but if we listen to his direction how many of you know it's better for his direction to happen than me to have a say in it because my saying many times is imperfect where his ways are beyond reproach amen they're always perfect is what that means and so so in that as we move forward in this series um called abide it was we we wanted to change the word kingdom to culture and we changed it to that because we wanted the kingdom or the culture of heaven to come the will or the culture of heaven to be done here in our culture on this earth as it is in his culture in heaven and so we know what we what we began to explore the culture of heaven And I love the fact that when we read about heaven and all the things that happen in heaven, the more you read about it, the more you realize what is not in heaven that we always try to deal with here on this earth. Depression is not in heaven. And could you imagine an angel sitting before the throne, waking up one morning, being depressed? I can't imagine that. One of the big guardian angels hanging his head saying, you know, Father, I'm just not feeling it today. (laughs) Right? I can't imagine that. You can't either. And it's, and it's absurd to even think like that. I mean, some people would even say it's an atrocity. I mean, come on. Mitch, that was for you. <laughs> Inside joke between me and Mitch. And, and so we look at this, and we look at it, and if we saw an angel depressed in heaven, we'd be like, what in the world's going on? But there's not. And so the culture of heaven is, there is joy overflowing and depression is, is, is not even on the radar. So we have to have that culture of heaven begin to manifest in our culture on earth because depression seems to be rampant here on earth as of late. And the answer to depression is not getting happy. The answer to the pre- depression is the culture of heaven. Okay? There are no sick people in heaven. That's why you're all excited to get there. Because all your sick loved ones that died are already there and you're excited to see them again. Amen. Amen. Okay? So there aren't any sick people in heaven. There seems to be a multitude of sick people here on this earth. So the answer for sick people 
is, I'm glad you can go to a doctor, but the answer for sick people is the culture of heaven. Okay, so it's been our heart in, in, in that series of, of Abide to get so familiar with the culture of heaven that it begins to manifest in our culture here on earth. And so the Father can work in our culture here on earth just like he's working in his culture in heaven. And then the next series we went was the quest. We were in pursuit of the glory of God. Because when the culture of heaven manifests in an earthly place, we call it, wow, the glory of God. So we went on a pursuit, a quest for the glory of God. And we began to seek out what does that look like. And we turned and we realized this, that in seeking out what that looked like, God says when his glory shows up, he is going to do what it says in Isaiah 61 verse 4. He says, I am going to make new, repair is what it says, which means to redeem or make new the ruined cities. I'm going to redeem or make new the devastation of generations. Now, I love that second one. Because God can do whatever he wants to in a city. But when he begins to restore generations of people, things begin to change. Can you imagine this? An 80-year-old person sitting in a congregation who has dealt with the guilt of the child molestation they experienced from as a childhood from years ago. And she comes encounter with an encounter with the love of the Father. And an 80-year-old person gets an encounter with the love of the Father and the glory of God shows up in their life. And immediately, those 80 years of devastation begins to be made brand new. Come on now. An old lady just became a new lady real quick. And imagine the 24-year-old who went through the same thing. A young person just became a new person real quick. See, whenever we talk about generations, we always think about the next generation. The next generation. I'm not thinking about the next generation. I'm thinking about the two generations preceding me, my generation, and the two generations following me. And so that's five generations that God says, I am going to make new the devastation of your lifespan, Joel. That's five generations I'm fixing to make brand new with my glory. Come on now. We're in a quest, a pursuit for that kind of glory to show up. The outcome is cities being made brand new. Generations being made brand new, looking completely different. The result is this. You begin to look like the Father. You begin to look like the Father. And we use this verse out of the book of Exodus to describe and illustrate this point. It's when Exodus 34, when Moses came down off the mountain, he spent so much time in the presence of God that when he came off the mountain, he did not know he was looking like the Father in all his glory until the people of that nation said, Moses, you're glowing. Put a veil over you so we don't die. They said the same thing to the Father. Moses, you go talk to him because if we see him, we're going to die. And so the outcome is new cities, new generations. The result is you begin to look like the Father. You bear His image. People begin to notice you differently. That's why we went into this series called Identity. Identity. If we're going to bear the image of the Father and let the world know what He looks like, we ought to probably define what He looks like and begin to get an identity of what we're trying to become so we know what we're identifying with, <laughs> right? You can always say, hey, I want to look like that, but what does that look like? Right, well, it looks like that. What is that? <laughs> so, so let's begin to put some structure into this thing so we know what we're looking for, so we know what we're achieving after, and we know what we're going after. And so I love this verse in Colossians. It says, Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God. And so when Jesus came to this earth, he said, he looked, God looked at him and said, this is what I would look like if I were walking the earth. 
He is the image of the invisible God. And forget physical structure, but, but the actions and the mannerisms of Jesus. This is what I would look like if I walked the earth. Now, we come into a problem in today's society when we read the Bible because a lot of people read the Old Testament and we get this viewpoint that God's the mean one. He's the judgmental one. He's the judge. He's the mean one. Jesus is the loving one. Oh, he came to die for us. The Holy Spirit, we don't understand him, so we're going to put him over here in a box. And, 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 and when we got time, we'll explore some of him, but not the depths of him. because We'll just leave him. So we go back to Jesus. Oh, Jesus is loving. For God so loved the world, he gave Jesus. Jesus, you're so great. But the Bible says Jesus is the image of the Father. So if you want to know the true heart of God, you've got to look at the actions of Jesus. Jesus said this, I can only do, Joel, what I see my Father doing. So Jesus was not acting on his own. Jesus said, Joel, I'm only doing what I've already seen my Father doing in heaven. So he was just expressing physically what God was already doing. So you no longer can say God's the mean one, God's the judgmental one, God's this bad God. No, God, he imaged himself through Jesus Christ so the world could truly see what he was doing up there. Thus, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on this earth as it is in heaven. Okay, Jesus is the fulfillment of that. And so in that, the very image of Jesus, Jesus is the image of the Father, in this place, and so whatever Jesus was doing, he was only seeing what his father was doing. And then the Bible goes on to say, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in Jesus. Now, we've said this, who Jesus was and is, we now become. Okay? So this is where we come into this, the part of it, the, the identity part of it, who Jesus was and is, we now become. And Jesus is the image of the Father. And if who Jesus was and is, we now become. And the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in Jesus. The fullness of God is pleased to dwell in you. Some of you are like, that, that's knocking some of your religion. It's good for Jesus. He's the Son of God. You're born again. You're a son of God. You're born again. You're a daughter of God. And And you got to realize, Megan, it pleases God to have his fullness dwell in you. <laughs> When's the last you tell a lost person that, they're going to freak out. Because they've never been told that. They think God's the bad one. Jesus loves them. Holy Spirit, we have not heard of such. <laughs> right? But in this, it pleases God to have all the fullness of him dwell in you. It, please, it makes him happy when he says, Jeff, I want to put all of me into you. I want to put all of me into you. Now, I don't know. He is a God of the impossible, so he's got a lot of work to do to put all of him in this little structure here. Amen. But in that, you've got to realize it pleases God to have all his fullness dwell in you. So now we've got to get to the point where we have an identity change. We must begin to change our identity because your identity is what people call you by. Okay? Some of you, you don't like what you're being called by. Some of you, you may like what you're being called by. Maybe we should just leave this topic because some of y'all are getting very uneasy with what I'm saying. <laughs> so we must have an identity change to what we've talked about, who Jesus was and is, we now become. 
And Jesus said, I've came to reconcile all things to me so we begin to look like him. He's not just reconciling all things. We talked about it last week with the bank statement. When your checkbook says one thing and the bank statement says another thing, um, you're going to reconcile yourself to the standard, which is the bank account. Your bank is not reconciling itself to you. Because if they could reconcile it to me, I would write some numbers down that would blow your mind (laughs) and they would have to match it. The truth of the matter is they got the actual numbers down and I believe in Jesus to make it look like what's in my head to match it. Amen. And so in that we've got to realize that Jesus came to reconcile all things to himself. And who Jesus was and is we now become and we are not just the father's pathway to the earth. We're now the father's image in the earth. So whatever people say about the church, that's their feelings about what we're displaying as the image of the Father. The world thinks God is judgmental. Why? Because the world says the church is judgmental. The church can't trust, or people can't trust the church, so they're saying they can't trust God because they're looking at us as the church as the image of God. So therefore, we got to have an identity change. We've got to start, come, become and start looking more like the image of the Father and who we represent Him here as on the earth. Also, Jesus came to show us not just what the Father could do, but what the Father could do through us. We've got to understand that when Jesus came, everybody says, Jesus came to show what the Father could do. No, Jesus came to show what the Father could do through you and through me. Because in us is the fullness of God that is pleased to dwell. So we've got to remember that as Jesus is showing us that, God wants to do something to you and through you, and Jesus came to reconcile all things to himself, not reconcile one thing to another thing. See, the term reconcile means to bring together. But when it says to reconcile all things to himself, it means he's not coming together, he's bringing you to him. No one can come unless the Spirit draws it. So God is bringing you to him. Now the crazy thing about that is, As much as God is trying to make me like him, there's sometimes Joel still fights that a little bit. There's sometimes I'm just not the greatest image of the invisible God here on this earth. Let me give you an example. It's the second week of school this past week. I have a child that goes to Bowie School and a child that goes to ECLC. They both start at the same time. There's an issue there. So I drop one son off early, and I'm bringing my second son to ECLC. That is no small task, by the way. And so I'm driving in. And here's just, this is just how my family operates. Second day of school, we get up to the door. Love you, son. Boom. Get out. Go to class. Love you. You are great. You're, we always pray this before you get out. You're bold. You're confident. You're obedient. You're not afraid. Boom. Go live it out, baby. Come on. Bless some of you awesome, amazing, loving parents that were two weeks into school and you're slowly still walking your sweet baby up to class. I love you for it. But, no, I really do love you for it. But your love for your child and my schedule don't match up many times. Okay? Because when you're lovingly walking your sweet baby to school, Joel's got a meeting he's late for. And then when I'm in this crisis, because being late and me just don't blend, my, my kids know the rule, daddy's never late. I mean, they, they tell me that. And, and so when, when, when I'm starting to run late, I don't really bear the image of the father so much <laughs> as I bear the image of my anger a little bit. And it's not, and it's not righteous anger. I'm just telling you, it's flat-out wrong anger. 
You know, it's just not good anger. And so even when God is trying to bring me to his son and reconcile me so I look like his son, there's sometimes Joel's fighting it. It's like, I don't want to be good right now. I'm ready to just, I'm mad at the moment. I'm not the only one. Come on. Aren't you glad your pastor's transparent? Come on. I mean, you're not, you're not getting this anywhere else. And there's times I'm fighting it. So Joel needs an identity change. I need to identify with the Father. And now we come to the point that Jesus is trying to reconcile me so I become like him. Jesus is now the standard. Everybody say, Jesus is the standard. One more time. Jesus is the standard. Now, if Jesus is the standard of what we're trying to become, how does this look and how is that defined? We've got to start beginning to put structure on this thing. How is that defined? The definition is everything. Because if we do not have a clear definition of the image, it immediately begins to lack clarity in what it's trying to become. We must define it so clearly that it's very clear to everyone else of what it becomes and what we're trying to present and represent moving forward. they got a picture that they're fixing to put on the screen. And thus the sermon title, High Definition, we're going to begin to talk about. Now, you see three squares. You see the blue square. You see the green. And then you see the, the orangish, yellowish. Kindergarten teachers help me out with that color. Not really sure what that is. But you got that up there, and you see 720 times 576. And on that right there, you see the word pal, which literally means phrase alternating line. And the 720 is the amount of lines that go this way across the screen. The 576 is the amount that go uh, up and down, Okay. So you got 720 wide by 576 up and down. That is what they would call the, the pixelation of it. It gives it the clarity. That is standard definition. Now, praise God, we go to a new era in life. And you got what they call 720p, or PAL, which is 120, or 1,280 by 720 up and down. The 720, each one is a line, and there's 720. Then you got God's gift. To any sports-loving person out there. It is 1080p HD. And you know in three years that's going to be obsolete, by the way. You're killing me. So you got 1920 by 1080. Why did y'all give me an updated picture, Derek? I sent this picture to Derek on Thursday. I was ahead of my game. And he still lets me portray something that's out of date. Come on, man. Talk about setting your pastor up for failure, man. I'm telling you. Go with it. Go back five years, and this is the standard, okay? And we're here. And you have this definition. Now, I've got to admit, this is where in my household, my wife has the thinking of the man, and I don't. She, when, when high definition first came out, she was all about, we got to get this, we got to get this. And I'm like, ah. Who cares? It's fine. But then when you get it, it's like, ah. Right? I'm, I'm telling you, it's amazing. I mean, absolutely wonderful. And so in that, you begin to see the difference in the clarity of the pictures you're looking at or the TV show that you're watching. But imagine with me for a moment on the size screen that we have, if you had the 576 number had to cover all of the screen and not just that little square portion of it the clarity would become very poor very quick. 
You would not have a good image of what you're trying to see. You would not have a good viewpoint because the definition of it is low. And so we've got to begin to understand that by the standard we're looking at, it's the smaller it is, if you spread that smaller number across the big screen, it becomes a poor definition of what we're trying to accomplish. And whatever is not defined in our clarity as a believer, whatever is not defined in this moment with our clarity as a believer, it opens the door for the world to begin to define what we left as unclear as the church. Are you following? If we don't put a clear definition of who Jesus Christ is out there, the world, wherever we're unclear, gets to come in and try to clarify it with their own definition of what we said Jesus is. Therein becomes a crisis because we haven't presented Jesus in a clear, defined manner. The world begins to come in and define it for us, and we as the church can no longer afford it to have the world give the definition of we know who Jesus Christ is. We can't afford that any longer. See, we let the world begin to define everything about the church, then the church no longer has a, has a clear viewpoint or a clear standing. When the church comes to a clear standing again and clear definition on things, then the world has no room to define it for us. We must begin to define it in a way that is clear, a higher definition than the world has ever seen. So the world can't come in and begin to define what we know is right or wrong. We must begin to become the standard in the definition of things that we do. So let's just pick a common phrase for a second when we're talking about the defining of Jesus Christ. We use this term. And it's good for the church world, and it's sufficeable for the, for the world's world because they're kind of taking it after the church definition. But we always say this about Jesus, that Jesus is perfect. Correct? That's what we say. Jesus is perfect. He's the Son of God. He's awesome. And we go on to explain it. But is that really a clear definition? Derek, can you come up here for a minute? I'm going to ask Derek. It's Derek's birthday, by the way. He looks beautiful. I'm telling you. Awesome, stately, wish I had shoulders that were that big, stately, I mean that's a good word, is that not a good word? I think distinguished, is that better? And so, should have got me a better picture on the screen? This is the problem, when you don't give me a better scripture, you get, or picture, you get called up on the stage. But as Derek is standing here, Derek you are now the picture of perfection. Come on now. Yeah. Alicia says, amen. Thank you, Jesus. But if Derek is perfect, and we say Jesus is perfect, perfect becomes the standard. But I thought we just said Jesus was the standard. They both can't be the standard. Either either perfect is the standard, or Jesus is the standard. The problem with Perfect being the standard is now we equate Jesus to trying to measure up to this standard of perfect. Jesus never had to measure up to any standard called perfect. He is perfect. He didn't have to try to be perfect in this world. He is perfect in this world. When he woke up in the morning, he wasn't struggling like Joel does sometimes to work on being perfect and say, one day I'm going to get to be perfect. No, Jesus woke up and perfect just exuded out of him because he's God in the flesh. Come on now. It wasn't a struggle for him. Listen, there's coming a day in your life when you're not going to struggle to walk and operate in a perfect realm. You're going to wake up one morning because you've been walking with God so long, you're going to, wow, my life is good. It's, you're you're going you're gonna to resemble perfect. 
but I would rather you resemble Jesus. In this making this the standard that perfect is the standard, Jesus is now having to aspire to be like something when Jesus never had to aspire to be like anything. So if we use the term to define Jesus and we say Jesus is perfect, we say perfect is now the standard that Jesus is aligning to. When the truth of the matter is Jesus is perfect is a poor way to say it, but perfect is Jesus is the right way to say it. What does that mean? It means Jesus is the standard and perfect's trying to become like him. Some of y'all missed that. Jesus is your standard. You're trying to become like him. You're chasing after him. You're getting a better image because you're becoming like him. See, whatever we do not clarify, the world begins to be able to go in and put their definition on it. And if you phrase it like this, Jesus is perfect, we're running after a religion. But if you explain it like this, perfect is Jesus, Jesus is the standard, and we're all running after Jesus. Come on now. See, some of y'all been so frustrated in your Christian walk because you're running after perfect, not after Jesus. Come on. I'm telling you, this has crippled you in your Christian walk. Well, I can't do it because I laid my hands on somebody and they didn't get well because you're running after perfect, not Jesus. I can't do it. The last time I got up to speak, I made a fool of myself. I do it every Sunday. Some of y'all get blessed by it. I mean, okay? But I'm not running after the standard of perfect. I'm running after the standard of Jesus. Do you think Jesus was concerned about his eloquence of speech? He said this, get thee behind me, Satan. He looked at the Pharisees and he says, you're a bunch of snakes. Okay, brood of vipers. We'll, we'll make it biblically correct. I mean, really? If you would have put it in a day, so it was like, you, you dadgum snake in the grass? Is what, I mean, if the standard is perfect then Jesus was lacking something to get there. And and that's impossible because he was born of a virgin. He's the son of God. He is God's man in the flesh. God said, all my fullness dwelled in him, and I'm pleased with it. He is the image of the invisible God. So if Jesus is having to aspire to become perfect, it means he was lacking something from the beginning. And can I tell you from the beginning, he was not lacking anything. Never was. You move over here and make Jesus the standard. Now, you're Jesus, okay? You're the new standard. And now perfect is running after to become like you. Gives you a new definition of perfect. I'm excited about next week's message. It's going to encourage you more than this one. If perfect is now running after to become like Jesus, we've now clarified who Jesus was and is. He's the standard. But we now clarify who you are. You become the standard. You're perfect because you're chasing after him. That's making you perfect. So as Jesus now becomes the standard and perfect is chasing after him, the two begin to align. And perfect is just a most adequate word for, a, for, for Jesus that we have in a poorly defined English language moving forward so we must begin to realize that if jesus is the standard he's reconciling all things to himself as the standard of of jesus perfect is becoming like him 
in every area of our life. Y'all give Derek a hand clap this morning. And give me a better picture next time. Now, if we say Jesus is perfect and he becomes a standard we're trying to match, this is where high definition comes into play. We must be have a different standard than we've been dealing with because now the standard of perfect is Jesus. Jesus is that perfect standard. And he said, I've come to reconcile all things to myself, all things to make them look like me. I begin to move here in this way where God begins to become in my life, I become the image of him because I'm displaying what I see him doing as the standard of Jesus in my life. In your life and what's going on in you right now, the one big issue that we have is this. God is always transmitting in high definition. Always. The problem is not how God's transmitting. It's the display modules of what they're presenting. There was a time in our marriage when we had high definition transmitting into our house, but the television that we had was not high definition capable. So it didn't matter how much high def was coming in, there was no high definition going out. With some of your life, it's the same problem. Some of you, you have high definition transmitting in, but your display mechanism isn't capable of transmitting high definition out. Some of you are in need of an upgrade in your life. Some of you are in need of a different display mechanism of how you display the image that's supposed to be going forward. Now, a few weeks ago, a few months ago, we were cleaning out our garage, or our our attic actually, and I pulled this TV down from the attic And when I brought it down, I plugged it in, and it came on. (laughs) I bought this TV when I was, I believe, 20 years old, maybe 19. That's that's a long time ago, by the way. Almost two decades ago, I brought this TV and plugged it in, and it lit right up. And then you could even stick a VCR tape in there, in the bottom of it. Come on now. Or you don't even know what VCR tapes are. They're like looking at each other. Huh? What? You can stick a VCR tape in there. And when it lit up, I looked at it, and I was like, oh, my gosh. That's horrible. You can't even see that thing. And the more I watched it, I got a headache. Because the screen was so plain in standard definition, and I'm used to high definition. Come on now, thank you, Jesus. And I'm used to high definition. And the more I saw this unclear picture, I began to get a headache, and I began to be frustrated, because like, how can anybody even watch this? And I imagine what it's looking like from the heavenlies when God is transmitting in high def, but we're 20 years behind the times in our spiritual walk, and we're displaying a TV with a VCR in the bottom. How are you transmitting what is coming into you? What display mechanism do you have? And the thing I love the most about high definition is on, on our remote, you can rewind it, right? I'm not that technically advanced, okay? I'm just saying. I don't have much time to watch TV. But what I do watch, you can rewind it. And when you're playing sports, this is awesome. Because you can see if they're out of bounds. You can see if they're inbounds. 
and you're screaming at the TV before the announcer even gets a chance to watch it on his high-definition TV. <laughs> he wasn't out of bounds. He was in bounds. And it still wasn't a catch last year, by the way, or the year before, or whatever. <laughs> I just had to go there. See, second service is fun because it's not recorded and going on the Internet. I can just say stuff. But you can rewind it, and you can get a very clear picture of a certain part of the screen that you want to see. And the amazing thing about God is when he's transmitting into your life and you have a high-definition display, which you are becoming today, is a high-definition display. People can begin to rewind parts of your life and say, when he was going through this trial, I was able to rewind and see very clearly how God worked in his life. It was not an unclear definition of where he believed. It was not an unclear definition of how pastor stood. It was not an unclear defining moment when this tragedy occurred in his life. I saw his response and reaction in high definition because he was under the microscope. And in that high definition, definition moment I could see clearly who God was he was the image of God in that moment in your life people are going to be rewinding your life I remember when I remember when I saw Derek do this or, or, or Glenn do that or I remember when I saw Christina do this or that and when they rewind your life give them something to rewind to baby Give them something to rewind to and think back on you and say, there has never been a moment that I was unclear about where Joel T. Meyer stood on this issue or this moment or this tragedy or this circumstance or this uh, cultural condition or this devastation thing or this catastrophic event or the way the world's falling apart. I know where pastor stands because he prevents, uh, presents a very clear definition with his life that he's displaying about who the image of the Father is. Let them rewind your life. Because you're going to be happy they did, and especially when they zoom in, all they do is see the Father clearer. Come on, I believe that about you. I told you, you're getting an upgrade today. In this moment, there are some of you thinking, God, please don't rewind my life. Because what I was presenting as the image was a very unclear picture of who you are. But this morning, everything changes. If in this life we're going to see God do what he's wanting to do, we can no longer afford to show an unclear picture of who the Father is. And I'll give you this example. There was a woman in the Bible, and Jesus walks up to a well. And begins, the Bible says this, he was wearied from his journey. And he sits down by the well and a woman walks up to him. And he said, give me something to drink. And she stops for a minute. And she said, why are you asking me to give you something to drink? And Jesus responds like this, if you would know who I am, you'd be asking me to give you something to drink because I got the living water. And he goes on and begins to tell her her whole life story. And he tells her, he said, you've been married five times and the man you're living with now is not your husband. And she begins to look at the situation she's in. And I find this ironic because there are times in the Bible when Jesus declared who he was, when the power of God came, people just fell out. Okay? 
When the power of God showed up, people just fell out. When he was about to be arrested, he said, I am he. All the soldiers fell back as dead men. He had to wait for them to get back up so they could arrest him to take him to. I find that humorous. Y'all may not. He was fulfilling scripture. No one could take him. He had to give himself up. No one could take him. Okay? And in that moment, she's looking at Jesus. And Jesus said, I am he. And a woman with the most sinful lifestyle of her time began to present a very clear image of who the Father is. Now, I want you to see two, two, two displays going on here. You had Jesus displaying a true image of the love of the Father. You had a woman going displaying the true image of the power of the Father. And so when the love of the Father met the power of the Father, the whole city came out, the Bible said, and Jesus remained there for two days doing ministry because a woman, come on, with a sinful lifestyle, not even somebody Jesus should have been ministering to according to Jewish law, presented a clear image of who he was. You want to get rid of racism? Here's how you do it. The world ain't going to tell you this, but here's how you do it. You present a clear image of who the Father is. Jesus talked to a woman who was a sinful woman of a different nationality. She was a Samaritan, somebody they shouldn't have been speaking to. Showed her the love of the Father. With her love of the Father, she went and tells the whole city. The whole city comes out, repents, gets in our terms, born again or saved. Come on now. Do, do you see how you've got to start presenting on a higher definition? And if we're going to be walking in this identity and having an image of who the Father is, it cannot be a standard definition image. It must be a high definition image. It must be a definition in, in, in such a high resolution that we present a very clear picture of who the Father is and who the love of the Father is and how the Father wants to love and that all people who call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ shall be saved, born again, made new. Thank you, Jesus. And listen, when you walk in this building, I hope you see the image of the Father. Not in the way I preach, but the way you're loved. This morning, the one question I have for you is how are you transmitting? I know how it's coming to you. God's talking in high definition. He doesn't talk in anything less. And as he's talking in high definition, it's coming to you. But how is your display mechanism? Some of you need to start displaying differently. Better. In this moment, there's going to have to be a connection made between the signal God's transmitting on and the new you that you're displaying, there's going to have to be a connect point. That connect point in your life is right now. You don't got to go to Best Buy and buy a new you. But what you do got to do is make a conscious decision that says, Father, I'm going to start displaying a better, clearer image of who you are and the power of God is going to plug into your life. And Joel T. Meyer is going to have a chance at ECLC this week to display. <laughs> Come on. That image of the Father. Praise God, it's only four days this week. <laughs> Come on. I say that jokingly, but there's going to be a circumstance in your life this week. I'm not prophesying bad junk over your life. Challenges happen because life is life. In that moment of the challenge, 
are you going to display in such a manner that people can rewind and get a clearer picture the second time than they even saw the first time you were going through it? 